Hi, this is Father Andrew, and this is the All Souls Catechesis podcast. This year, our theme is Signs of Life, Reflections on Hope, and we'll be hearing from members of our community about where they have found hope in this last year. And today we have with us uh, the Reverend Dr. Mary Baker, um, Deacon Mary. For those who don't know you, Mary, tell us a little bit more about yourself or something people might not know about you. Well, um, I think most people know I'm your deacon in this church. <laughs> um, my husband, Rich, and I have been coming since 2007. And I had received the call um, for ministry, basically, I think, in high school. Uh, it took uh, hmm. about another 30 years um, to uh, realize it was something God really wanted. But by the time I came here, I had already been in a discernment process for becoming a deacon, and um, I was uh, um, ordained here in 2008. And the other part of that is that I was also uh, in the middle of finishing raising my family. Rich and I have six children, and when we came to church here, we had two children still in high school, mm -hmm. which were in your youth group. Yeah. Um, and I had at some point when my youngest child was in fourth grade, I went back to school and started a doctorate in systematic theology, which was really different because I was a theater major in undergraduate hmm. school. And I used to think theology was the most boring thing in the world. <laughs> so it was, it was really a very different uh, change. But I found that I um, had always been. I like to say to some of the men in my class, you know, well, I've been thinking about theological questions my own life. When I'm ironing a child's shirt, I was thinking of mm. theological questions. Yeah. And so, and so that was, that was, it was really neat. I did find that the more questions I had, the less answers I found. Hmm. So, <laughs> but um, I think when you get an answer, it just opens up another question. So, yeah. Isn't that the truth? Most, the, the worst theologians are people with one year of Bible college because they have just enough to think they know the answers to everything. I, I was insufferable the first summer after college, just, just horrible. It's when you get to those further levels that you recognize your, your questions are the wrong questions or the questions go much deeper than you thought. Yeah, when I started graduate school in 2003, um, I was the only woman Hmm. in um, uh, several of the classes. Um, and I just noticed the difference in perspective between hmm. a male and a female uh, point of view. So, yeah, because um, I think women tend to think, I always thought that the best theology was compassionate. That was hmm. think, trying to answer the deep questions in life in a way that would help people, not in a way that would tell people how to believe. Right. <laughs> What, what a different approach that's, uh, yeah, it, I don't want to dive. I've got a few thoughts on, on the sermon I'm preparing that I don't want to dive into yet because I still have to preach it. So um, <laughs> let's dive in instead. Um, where, where have you found hope this last year? Well, what I, where I found hope is I rediscovered the love of reading stories. Hmm. Now, I have to say that I as a child, I loved to read. Um, I read all kinds of books all the time. My mm -hmm. favorite thing was to lie on a couch in my grandparents' house uh, in front of this huge big picture window they had in front of their, their you know, how branch houses are. Mm -hmm. And 
that continued even when I was a young mom and reading my kid reading, I always found a minute to read. I remember thinking the days after my babies were born and I was nursing were the best days because I could just read without any interruption <laughs> because I was nursing the baby. Right. Um, <laughs> but something happened when I went back to graduate school. And I think that in, it was a fantastic experience. And of course, I loved it. I still see just all kinds of value I teach. But reading in some ways became work. Hmm. And I started feeling like at the end of the day, after I'd spent a whole day reading theology that you read about a paragraph every half hour, um, <laughs> that I just needed to do something else. Yeah. And um, so reading became something that was just kind of on the back burner. I didn't, you know, I still read, I'm not going to, I mean, I read newspapers, I read academic books, mm -hmm. I read devotional books, but my reading, a lot of it just centered on reading mysteries and thrillers because they were escapist reading. And usually I didn't even read them. I just listened to them on mm -hmm. audiobook. So that was where I was at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, but what was interesting about the pandemic is I was on the computer all day. Mm -hmm. um, now I'm teaching and I love teaching in person. And when I was teaching in person, I had a lot of interaction with students not only in the classroom, but in office hours and other activities. But now all of a sudden, my only way of communicating with people is through a computer. And I am basically on the computer all day hmm. um, and trying to figure out how to use, how to teach online, et cetera, et cetera. So at the end of that, um, you know, I had actually started watching a lot more TV during those years mm. I was in graduate school. I was never much of a TV watcher. In fact, we didn't really even own one, Rich and I, when we were mm. raising our children. But of course, by the 2000s, you could stream anything on your computer. Right. So I was always like, oh, I can't read a book. I'm just going to watch something on TV. You know, I just, yeah. I, you know, and I, there's nothing wrong with that. I wouldn't say that I was, you know, I was misusing TV or anything, but it just was my go-to. So in the pandemic, I'm like, the last thing I want to do is look at another screen. Yeah. <laughs> so I started just having this desire to read physical books. And so I just started, I had read um, a couple of books when we were on vacation by an author I really enjoyed. And I'd gotten a little bit of a, just a insight into what I'm going to be talking about today through the reading of those books. Hmm. And so I just started reading books again just for the sake of reading. Yeah. And um, now a year later, um, I'm still doing a lot of reading. I'm reading a lot of fiction, a lot of stories, which another thing that had happened to me is I was very utilitarian about my reading. Like if I'm going to read something, I'm going to read, okay, let's read a book about racism or yeah. let's read a book about how to be closer to God or, <laughs> and yeah, um that productive is, reading. It has to, it has to have an reading. outcome. What's my return on investment in this? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so this was just reading for purely escape. But um, I read between, um, I probably read about 40 books, uh, 45, 50 books between March and January of this year. Hmm. It was like, basically, I was reading about a book a week of fiction uh, outside of the other. I'm still doing other reading, obviously, because yeah. I'm teaching. But yeah. That so, was a lot of books. <laughs> yeah. Was it, I, I find that idea of like looking for unproductive reading really interesting of like, 
again, this ties back, it's come up on the podcast before about like Sabbath and that like reckless Mm -hmm. non-productivity of it. Um, And it's so hard to get away from that utilitarian approach to any aspect of our life, let alone um, how we spend our time, that everything has to have, okay, what is this going to get me? What am I getting out of it? So even when we talk about rest, it's like I rest because that's when my brain will cement better ideas and it's good for me. So I can justify resting or reading fiction mm-hmm. because I still get it. We just have a different yeah, activity right. of it. And I don't know, maybe it's inescapable, but um, for you, I mean, reading those books, you mentioned escape. Was it, a, was it to try and get away from, from the, the like horrid living inside world we lived in? Or was it, what was it that, that made fiction appealing to you? Well, I think it actually really did start out that way. Um, I just, I can't think, I mean, I've been reading so many, I was like glued to the news, you know, in the beginning, Mm -hmm. like so many of us were with the pandemic, like, why do you get it? How do you get it? Blah, blah, blah. And every day there was something, there's even those, you know, ridiculous news conferences that the president was giving. I actually even watched some of those, but um, I just, I have to stop thinking about the pandemic and also- you know, the situation in our church had really started to completely fall apart Mm -hmm. and I found myself helpless. And so I I just, you know, I'm just, I am going to escape into the world of books, but um, something happened with that. That was really interesting for me because I found out I couldn't escape who I was. Hmm. It's like Psalm 139, run, run wherever you want, but you're still there. God's still there too, but yeah. Yeah. Um, So in fact, I think books help me escape the illusions um, Mm -hmm. of who, of of the world or who I think I am or how I think I might respond in a particular situation. I read books where people were choosing to do bad things Mm -hmm. and I thought I could do that. (laughs) I, I, you know, I get that. I get that. Um, so it, you know, it's interesting when you say escapism. now I think, well, what is it I'm trying to escape? Mm-hmm. And I think often we will turn to different activities just to numb our beings and to escape, you know, who we are, yeah. um, because we're not happy with who we are. And I actually found that reading these stories did not do that. And yet I found a lot of solace and a lot of comfort in getting in the heads and minds of people that were not myself um, and learning from them. And it just was a way of just getting out of myself, Mm -hmm. but not escaping myself because you're always still there. Yeah. Um, I was still always very much there in the moment with that person. And, you know, it, it's transcending who you are and yet it's also digging deep into who you are when you read a story and you really let yourself become a part of the story, which a Mm -hmm. good writer, that's what a good writer should do. You shouldn't have to work at that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting in some ways it's like the, the fiction, um, fiction helps us confront the lies we tell ourselves about ourselves. Like, even though it's a made up story, it actually poses things in such a way that, um, makes us be more honest with ourselves where where the art is more true than than we think it is um i think that's a really interesting way that fiction functions 
Yeah, I think stories, um, C.S. Lewis has this quote um, when he says, in reading, we seek an enlargement of our being. We want to be more than ourselves. Mm. And yet, and that I think is very true. We want to be more than ourselves, but we also want to learn how to become our best selves. Mm -hmm. And I think reading a good story can really help you do that. Um, Yeah. Have you... um... Have you have you read uh, Karen Swallow Pryor's On Reading Well? No, and it's really interesting you say that because just recently, um, in fact, in getting ready for this podcast, mm-hmm. I decided to read a couple of books about reading. Mm-hmm. And that never appealed to me because I thought, why would you want to read a book about reading? That's like, yeah. <laughs> reading, that's like reading recipes rather than eating, you know? Yeah. But it's really interesting in, um, I read this book by, well, it's a compilation of essays that um, was put together very recently on the reading life from, mm-hmm. by C.S. Lewis. And actually I recognized some of the, where the, I heard these or read these things before, cause it was a compilation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that really helpful, but no, um, I've got, I want to read uh, Alan Jacobs reading the dead. I think it's called. Yes. That that's, that was on my list too. And I, I didn't, I didn't get to it. The, um, but I know in that, yeah, yeah. So her, so her book um, looks at different works of fiction um, as representatives about the different virtues. I actually had no idea. I thought it was just going to be about reading generally, but it sort of goes through lots of different books and sort of how that virtue is either portrayed or inversely not portrayed. Um, and it was really fascinating. And actually, there are a few, at least one book I read after reading her book, and that was. Um, Cormac McCarthy's The Road, which is incredibly depressing. Um, yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was just this idea that, um, that that fiction does this work, does this work of helping us sort of imagine virtue and sort of imagine what mm-hmm. it might look like or see it on the display. And there's something about that um, that does yeah, a lot it, of, it, it, like, it's like it tills the soil exactly. in a way. If it does it well. Yeah. What I don't like is books that I just recently read a book called Anxious People by Frederick Bachman. And I know everybody I've talked to has read it, just loved that book. <laughs> and I've loved like, you know, his other books, A Man Called Oath, the book Baritone, which I actually have on here is a, something I wanted to talk to you about. But Anxious People, it just seemed like he had, he wanted to portray how people need to be tolerant of each other and love each other. And so he contrived these characters hmm. that would represent each point of view in life. Like, let's have somebody who's a real estate agent and is consumed by materialism. Let's hmm. have somebody who's a poet. And I was so irritated by it <laughs> because I think that you, you can't create characters to make a point. Yeah. Um, you, a good character, and you'll see this when you're reading I mean, writers that talk about their characters talk about how they first, they have in mind this person and then this person takes on a life of their own. And I don't know who said this, but um, somebody on a reading blog or something, but you just, you, you write where the character takes you. Mm -hmm. You don't have an end point in mind. And I think good characterization, you can see that Um, that's what, you know, you don't even think about so much, oh, this is teaching me hope or, oh, this mm-hmm. is teaching me tolerance. So yeah. I'll be interested to read her book because the way you just described it, I thought I would never read that book. But 
it is i'm i might not be doing it justice but it, yeah it, i know but she's probably trying i actually probably am really interested in it because maybe she shows the way people can show these virtues without like broadcasting i am now going to write about right this. right and i think a lot of christian fiction tends to do that i kind of gave up on a lot of that like about 40 years ago yeah. <laughs> for that reason. yeah and it's I think it's interesting that that idea of characters being such a central focus, because that's how mm -hmm. we relate. That's how we find ourselves. Believable characters are what make it so great. Um, I read, um, I read uh, J.K. Rowling, who wrote Harry Potter, wrote some fiction after she wrote Harry Potter. There's one called um, A Casual Vacancy. It's about oh, this small town. Read them all. So I loved Casual yeah, Vacancy. Yeah. And I remember reading it and thinking, and thinking, okay, this clearly is much more mature in its themes than yeah, right. Harry Potter, but, but this feels like Rowling. And part of it is um, she does such an excellent job making very relatable, mm -hmm. believable characters, even, even characters that have flaws that you still love. And, and even if characters who are at odds with each other, yeah. you don't have like, Oh, well, I love this person and not that person. Like you, you sort of, the characters become beloved characters, even when they're at odds with each other, because she just writes them in such a, I don't know, relatable way. And I loved that book for, it was the characters that I loved about that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what many of us loved about Harry Potter as well, was the the characters in it. Yes, very, very much um, so. And I think a good, a sign of a good book is if you are still thinking about those characters weeks after, mm -hmm. or even months or years after you've read the book. Yeah. And you're thinking about, what they learned, what they thought, um, how they handled really hard situations. Yeah. So it's, um, although I, I do think that you can be surprised. Like one of the things I did this summer is I actually tried some genres I don't normally read. Mm -hmm. One of them was romantic fiction, which I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. But someone recommended this book to me called Beach Read, which was, it, it, you know, it, it's just a light book, but yet it had so much to say about mm -hmm. life and friendship. And well, it was actually um, one of the main themes was what to do with grief. Hmm. And um, so I think genres can, can, we can go beyond our own, even our comfort level. Yeah. Um, and I think another thing I've too, I've learned this last year is I don't have to apologize for anything I read. Um, hmm. And that's getting back yeah. to, um, you know, and it's like even like this utilitarian idea of, well, a book has to be a really good book. Like it has to be almost yeah. a classic or I have wasted my time. Yeah. And I think about how many hours I have spent watching TV shows that were definitely not classics. Yeah. Why do I have <laughs> to feel this way about reading a book? Why can't I just read a book just because I want to read about this person um, yeah. and have fun and um so I talk about mysteries and thrillers. I still read them because they're just fun to read, you know? And so you don't, and there's just, and why is it fun? You know? And so that it's just because you're just appreciating life in a different way. And mm -hmm. all of it to me is just, if you're reading and you're enjoying the story, you are just simply enjoying the mystery and the wonder of life. I don't care what you're reading, you know? Yeah. So um, I think we do need to get away from that kind of utilitarian idea. I remember um, hearing when Alan Jacobs was at, at Wheaton and he was at All Souls, we had years ago, we had these little like coffee house things in the, mm -hmm. in the undercroft. And I remember Alan was giving a talk at one um, and he, 
And he was talking about how people ask him, like, give me, give me like the 10 books I have to read. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff like that. They want lists from him. And he basically said he never responds to those. Cause he's like, it depends on what you like. Like there is yeah. no, there are, I don't think Alan would, um, you know, reject the idea of sort of great works of right, no, literature. Exactly. I mean, he's not rejecting quality or anything like that, but the sense was like, just reading is good and you should read what you feel like reading and don't, and don't, um, yeah, that same idea, right? Don't care about it. And then the other piece of advice, I think I read, I think it was Wesley Hill tweeting it once. For some reason, that's where I have it associated in my head. But it was permission to stop reading a book if you're not enjoying it. Oh, And yes. wow, what permission that was. And how that, I, I haven't yeah. done it a lot, but occasionally there are books and I'm like, you know that what? That actually happened to me very recently and it was very surprising. I love Marilyn Robinson and mm -hmm. the book I love Gilead, Lila. I just absolutely love that book because that is an example of a book that just takes life and suffering and redeems it all. But she just had a new book come out called Jack. And yeah. of course, Jack is the character. Um, he's kind of the prodigal son in Gilead and spoken of a little bit. Well, then home deals a lot with his situation. I found myself going back, actually rereading parts of Gilead and home kind of, but I ended up stopping reading that book because it was for me, it was so much of it is a conversation in his mind and it's mm -hmm. beautifully done. I mean, she's, maybe that's one of the reasons why I had to put it down, but he is someone who really hates himself. Mm. And it was that constant uh, negative examination and his fear of, you know, people seeing who he really is and his mm -hmm. fear of exposure and all that. And I'm sure at the end, she resolves it all and it's wonderful <laughs> and I'll probably go back to it, but I just didn't want to be there. Yeah. It wasn't where I wanted to be in my head at that moment. So it's not like, it's not a good book, but it just yeah. was not that wasn't for me that moment. And to put down a Marilyn Robinson book, I mean, <laughs> that whoa. takes a lot. <laughs> I wonder if that's, I don't know if that's unique to sort of like Wheaton area evangelicalism or if it's our culture at large, but the sense of like the things you're supposed to have read or even yes. TV shows that you should have watched. And right. like, you need to know this to be part of the conversation, to be one of the people who has read this. Um, mm -hmm. I remember I started reading, I picked up uh, Infinite Jest. Uh, by David Foster Wallace. Um, mm -hmm. I remember I it was it's it's so long. Like I, mm -hmm. I don't want to be that guy, but like I'm reading and the footnotes are so long and I'm going back and forth. I remember posting online like, look, you can't make me read the footnotes. I'm just gonna read it normal. <laughs> and I had I had friends who were like, no, you can't do that. You can't not read the footnotes. The footnotes the, are important to the whole reading experience. And I was like, forget it. That yeah. that book's on my shelf, a hundred pages read. I don't care what you think of me. Yeah, podcast well, audience, whatever. I'm not reading that that book anymore. I'm sure it's fantastic, but like, no yeah. thanks. I'm done. So I think that is some of the baggage why people don't read is mm -hmm. that they feel like they have to read something that's gonna, you know, that's they're gonna check it off their list for one thing. Yeah, you know, like I've read that book now, mm -hmm. or just whatever. And um, yeah, the. The DNF, do not finish. Um, hmm. That is something, you know, I didn't even read the ending of Jack because I thought, well, another time, maybe I'll be ready to read this. But um, 
Don't you want to see, I feel like in that situation, I would go online and just read the synopsis to find out the ending. And just because it would, it would eat me up not knowing how it ends. Well, Do you actually, not have that desire? No, because Jack, that was one of the things that was kind of a little disappointing is that it, it ends before he goes back to Gilead. And oh, home. okay. So you, it's basically about the story of his romance with mm-hmm. his wife. And, you know, it's absolutely a very important discussion because, you know, this was the 1940s and he, and he was a white man that fell in love with a black woman and mm-hmm. they lived in the South. They couldn't get married. Um, the story part was just beautiful. And especially yeah. her, Stella, um, was just always trying to encourage him and loved him and saw who he really was. But there was just so much of the book that was in his brain hmm. that it just, well, I'll go back to it at some point. But I do think you need to know, you need to be intentional about what you're reading and why you're reading it. That's one of the mm-hmm. things I've discovered this last year is because um, I just would have a stack of books and just start reading, reading, reading. And yeah. and then I thought, wait a minute, I've got to get a little bit more to handle on this. And first of all, um, I got some good advice. And that was once you're done reading a book you've really loved, just let it sit for a couple of days. Mm. And I would be like, oh, I gotta read another book now, or I gotta read the sequel or something. So what, since I'm doing so much reading of fiction, what I've kind of settled into is really immersing myself in a book and then a story. Then when I'm done laying that aside, and then that's when I'll maybe, you know, pick up the news or read some podcasts or do some other kinds of reading. But meantime, I am thinking about the book all the time, if it was a good book. Um, And also taking the time to write down some of my favorite quotes from the book, which I never did. And so I've started a, um, a, a reading journal. It's, it's on my computer, but, um, that's really been good for me too, to just take time. And, um, and I've gone back and reread some favorite books, which is another thing. I heard somebody recently say, um, I don't keep any books I've read. Like after hmm. I've been reading a book, I, I have room in my house for books that I've already read. I think you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> I was just like, because don't you want to go back to the shelf and pull out some of yeah. the parts where you had the little, you know, the little sticky notes and, you know, yeah, that's so I have this love-hate relationship with Kindle. I I love reading books on on my Kindle and for a number of reasons. One, having younger kids, it's much easier to like travel around and one-handed oh, yeah. read a book. I right. mean, there's just something about on your the, phone. On my phone. I mean, I can pick it yeah. up on any of my multiple devices and do that. So right. I really like that. I agree with you. I, I totally get I miss the tactile experience. Like I miss mm-hmm. the holding a book. Um, it's, you can't loan it the same way. I miss, I like my bookshelf. I like books on my bookshelf, mm-hmm. being able to look at it. But I will say thinking about going back to passages, I highlight a lot in exactly. my Kindle books and being able to look back through any of those books and like quickly find, like very quickly find highlights rather than having to like skim through. Although mm-hmm. I mean, there's something to like flipping through and finding the place you highlighted. It's just, no, it I'm is a slave to the convenience of it all. Yeah, and I read a lot of Kindle books too. I but I've also started checking out books from the library, which I yeah. haven't done for years because um, I'm buying a little bit few too many hardback yeah. books. Um, which I, you know, some of them I don't. I decide not to keep because I don't think they're a book I'm going to go back and reread, but mm-hmm. or re-savor. But um, and then there'll be a library book like there was this book I just recently read called um, "Leaving the World Behind." 
Mm-hmm. And I checked that out from the library. And today I went, oh, I want to really go back and get some sections. And I thought, oh, that, darn it. That was the one I checked out from the library. Hmm. But that was a really interesting book. And kind of moving on into some of the things I've found hope in is um, that this the plot of this book, the setup is that there is this couple who are maybe, you know, uh, slightly above middle class, upper middle mm-hmm. class, but they decide because they can afford to go on a vacation. They live in New York City and they've rented a house on Long Island through VRBO. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's this beautiful home that has a swimming pool and it's just, and they're just like stunned by the marble bathrooms, et cetera, et cetera. And so they're having this wonderful time enjoying this house. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the night, they get a knock on their door and it is this black couple. Mm-hmm. And they're like even afraid to open the door. I mean, mm. this is definitely a book that's about race. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out these are the people that own the house. So, <laughs> mm. and the reason they're knocking on the door is because there has been a blackout in New York City, a complete blackout, and the city is going crazy. So they decided they had to get out of the city and drive back to their home. And so they mm. beg this couple to let them in. Could they live in the basement? I know, you know, we'll give you your rental money back, et cetera, et cetera. But it was a very interesting book because um, uh, if you put yourself in this situation, this, they were, it describes about a week where they also lose all their power. They have Mm -hmm. no connection with the outside world, no internet for a week. Hmm. And they have no idea why this has happened. And then they start hearing strange sounds in the skies. They, um, all these animals are fleeing Hmm. urban areas. And so they're seeing really weird migrations. They know that something has happened. Basically the world is ending. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it was just a, a neat book because it made me think, how would I react what would be the things I, I mean, cause it was all about, well, what do we keep? What do we not keep? What, you mm-hmm. know, and it was a time kind of like in our pandemic where the family became closer and also this relationship with the people that were the owners of the house, which it kind of upended some societal kind of stereotypes. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, there's, I read another book called um, What a Fun Age that was about a, um, it was written from the point of view of a young black woman who was nannying for this very wealthy couple. Mm-hmm. And one night she's out with her friends and she gets a call from the mother. It's like one in the morning or something. Could you please come over right now? I need you to take this little girl that she had been babysitting out of the house. So she goes and gets her mm-hmm. and she decides to take her to a local, like, where would you go at one in the morning? And where would the girl be entertained? So she decides yeah. to take her to something like a 7-Eleven and they can go up and down looking. Well, she gets arrested because hmm. people become suspicious that she has kidnapped this child. Yeah. And so then the whole, I mean, then of course she calls the couple and they come, but then the whole aftermath of that in the reaction that she has and what she's experienced versus seeing what this family is experiencing, it was the, the whole, I mean, I just felt like I could have read how not to be a racist or I have one awake on my white mm-hmm. awake yeah. these books that I know I should read, but yeah. this novel revealed it all. 
Yeah. Like it was just seeing how these people were reacting. It was so I have found often that stories are a better way to tell the story of some of the things that we need to become more aware of in ourselves. Mm -hmm. Some of these issues that we're all grappling with. Sometimes a story can illustrate that um, so much better. And it, and it, again, both of these books were kind of in the thriller kind of category almost. Um, maybe the second one wasn't so much, but it was just, it was a great story, but it was just interesting seeing the choices people were making and how they affected each other. Yeah. Do you think it's as much like a model for choices you would make or do the choices themselves like, I don't know, illuminate a, a deeper truth? Like the the choices aren't so much like, hey, here's an example of, of how to not be racist in the future. Don't make the same choice the couple did. Right. Like it's bigger than that. Right. It is bigger than that. Um, I think it has to do with if a good writer shows you why people are Mm -hmm. thinking and acting that way. um, I think that is where the connection can be to your own motivations. Um, But it also is, you know, seeing the effect people can have on each other in books, uh, the impact that people's actions have on each other really causes you to be perhaps a little bit more careful and thoughtful about how you react to people and how you react in situations. Um, But then other books, you will, there have been books that I've read, some historical fiction lately that has just illustrated to me that human beings are basically at heart good people Hmm. and they have a tremendous amount of courage and, um, just the capacity to endure things and just keep putting one foot in front of another, even though they're in really difficult situations. Um, It's that is inspiring to me. So I Mm -hmm. think in that way, books and stories can be very inspiring. And I think that was what helped me a little bit in the pandemic was seeing how, you know, especially if you read historical fiction, I, I read a book about the dust bowl, And what people were, you know, this was about a farm in uh, Texas. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I could just feel the dust. It was (laughs) like everywhere. I mean, the the whole idea of dust being everywhere and big black clouds, like tornadoes of dust. Yeah. And I was just like, whoa. And, you know, it, and then these people lost their farms and, and I thought, oh, you know, this pandemic, I mean, it's been really, really hard on people, but there have been other times in our, the history of our country or the history of the world where people have gone through things that are also extremely, extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. And that gives you kind of a wider lens, but I've been really inspired, especially some of the female characters. Um, I have been really inspired by their grit and their willingness mm-hmm. to make tough decisions and, and their capacity to love their families and to do whatever they can to basically rescue their families, Hmm. Um, which is what I think women do, you know? And so, you know, I, it's like books can be about character and morals and all of that. And it's very important that they are. Um, But because I mean, the plots become kind of this symbolic way 
I think it's more than just intellectual in your mind. I think if you start really living these characters, it, it becomes kind of like almost symbolic mm-hmm. um, or, you know, they become almost icons in a way that help you see into reality, but also help you see into yourselves. Um, so it, it's just, yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. found, I just love stories. <laughs> yeah. Well, and even what you're talking about, like seeing people go through different things and, and how they came to choices they made, it, it introduced that, but to me, it sounds like, or what, 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 what I think about is how um, we often interact with other people's choices in isolation. Like when mm-hmm. we interact with other people, it's like, okay, I'm just having a touch point with you in this moment and you're doing this and I'm doing this and we can assess that. But of course, we always understand ourselves in complexity and narrative and like, well, you're talking to me right now, but I've had this day and this week and this month, and I've had all these experiences that have led me here. I mean, especially if we're being reflective about ourselves and there, there's something about fiction that helps maybe mm-hmm. helps you understand others as being complex and motivations yes. being complex and deep. Um, and obviously like really good fiction can do that kind of work and can help you see, um, I mean, sort of what I was saying about, about Rowling and, and casual vacancy, right? Like this mm-hmm. idea that you might both understand the perspectives of both people and that might help, I don't know, have, mm-hmm. a, have a framework for human interactions that gives you a better appreciation for complexity. Um, yeah. It also helps you realize that your experience is not enough. Yeah. That we, we need each other mm-hmm. and we need to see life through others. Hmm. Um, Again, I, I had this quote here from, well, from C.S. Lewis, but it was something about just getting out of yourself, that reading mm-hmm. helps you do that. It helps you escape and, and seeing life through the eyes of others. I think it gives you a lot more compassion. Um, I read some memoirs, which I, I've started getting into memoirs, but um, like I read Trevor Noah's uh, book. Oh, um, interesting. Uh, born uh, born a crime stories and that that was a yeah. fun read it was you know he's a he's extremely funny I actually listened yeah. to it on audio and he audio and he narrates it but I also bought the book um but just getting inside the experiences personal experiences that he had of apartheid mm-hmm. and the and the reason it's called born a crime is because he was born a crime. Right. His parents actually had to hide him. Yeah. Because if if a mixed child race was seen on the streets in South Africa in this was probably the fifties. Um, no, 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 no. He's, he's it would have been younger, the nineties so. for him. Well, the nineties. Yeah, he's much younger than I am. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and so that's like also eye opening. I mean, he apartheid ended. I think when he was eight years old. I think he was born like around nineteen eighty one or something like okay. that. So. But um, if he'd been seen on the street, um, his mother would have been arrested yeah. you know, and put in jail. And so, I mean, what does that do to a psyche of a child? Yeah. You know, and so it's like, um, and then again, I, I read another memoir that was uh, Notes by a Black Chef. Mm-hmm. Um, it's by this, um, I, I watched Top Chef and it was by this chef that's on, and it was just mm-hmm. fascinating reading about his experience growing up in, yeah. um, in basically in the Bronx in the 2000, in the two thousands, I think basically. Um, So yeah, it just, again, these are things you can read about. You can read, uh, you know, the, 
what is the color of law and some of these really deep, heavy things. But then if you read somebody's story, yeah. how they experienced it, it just makes it so much more personal. So, so how do you, how do you pick the books you're going to read? I mean, you've got this huge diversity of examples you've given. Um, how are you selecting books? How do you, how do you choose stuff? I mean, there's both, you're yeah. mentioning all these great things, but then also that sometimes you just like to read mystery novel, like yeah, lowbrow. Just yeah. Reads. Yeah. Well, I do, you know, um, I'm, I don't have a reading list where I plan that next week I'm going to read this book and the following read it. Right. I have actually, I am compiling um, index cards and putting them into, uh, this is really old school, I know, <laughs> but this is, you know, just hang with me here. <laughs> it's tactile. Okay. Yeah. So, but I write down the title of a book that I really think I would like to read and then I categorize it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have this index box, which has categories of books. So um, I have, am kind of determined right now to reread some classics or read some classes that I haven't read um, because I think it's so important to kind of escape our current day. Yeah. Uh, you know, we can, it's like recently, for instance, I, I read um, Their Eyes Were Watching God. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, I think that now is standard reading in high schools, but yeah. I, I, that wasn't, believe me, in the 60s when I was in high school. So, um, and that was such a beautiful book, hard book, um, because again, she, this was about her life. In, I think basically it was around 1910 or something. Uh, much of it was autobiographical, but um, so just the condition with all the Jim Crow laws and all of that, mm -hmm. but her language was so beautiful. And that's another thing I really love about well-written books is that's another form of escapism because mm -hmm. just being able to read descriptions of reality that you could never describe yourself. Yeah. It makes you so much more attentive. I mean, a good author will help you be more attentive to, um, to reality. Mm -hmm. um, so, and so sometimes, well, I, I just want to, I have a quote here from that book that I just really um, wanted to, if I can find it here yep. in my notes. Um, but um, so she had said, oh, where was this? See if you read it on Kindle, would have been an honor. Yeah, I do have it. On, no, I do have it on Kindle actually, because um, and I will find it here because I have it. I had it on Kindle because um, that was one of the books that I decided to read on Kindle for that very reason. But I also listened to somebody write uh, uh, read it who is a fabulous reading because you know mm -hmm. that book is written in a dialect. Um, so this was it. She throughout the book she has this. Um, metaphor she's using of days passing through the sun rising or the sun setting. Mm -hmm. And um, just like one of the opening lines of the book was they sat on the boarding house porch and saw the sun plunge into the same crack in the earth from which the night emerged. Hmm. Like, what a mind picture. Yeah. And it's just full of that. Um, but she also said something else that was, I thought really really helpful to me and helped me actually see one of the reasons why I, I love reading. Um, and that was, um, 
that well, how it actually helps me. And she talks about how um, mind pictures, this is the author speaking. She's telling her story. And mm-hmm. if you've read Their Eyes Were Watching Guys, she's telling their story. And she explains to her friend and she's, that she's going to tell what happened to her in a story because mind pictures bring feelings and feelings are dragged out dramas from the hollows of our hearts. Hmm. And that is so incredible because again, hear this idea. Okay. It's not just, I'm thinking, Oh, this person did this or this person did that, but I have feelings when I'm reading a book and they, they are dragged out of the dramas and the hollows of my heart Mm. and they help me look inside them. So how do I pick the books that I pick? I kind of got a little off track there, but, um, (laughs) I think I kind of depending on the mood that I am in mm-hmm. um, has a lot to do with it. Um, I do do a lot of reading of about uh, now I've gotten really into reading a lot of book logs um, mm-hmm. online, listening um, to a couple of favorite uh, bloggers and podcasts where they talk about books and I get ideas from books from those uh, books that I would normally not even see. Um, but I just, I, I kind of just like, what am I hankering for? Am I really hankering for a good story? Am I really hankering for something that will, um, help me see a situation better or understand people better? Um, I I don't know. It's, it's kind of random really, to be honest, but, um, I try to read a wide variety of books too. That's another yeah. thing. That's kind of like if I'm reading a lot of contemporary fiction, then I'm like, no, I'm going to read a memoir. Or I'm going to read something else now. Or I love historical fiction. Mm-hmm. So I kind of try to balance it out a little bit too. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's even that, that thing I mentioned that Alan Jacobs said, just that freeing of the, the oughtness of, of what kind of books or which books in particular you ought to read. Um, yeah. Just because there, there's something about even the act of reading itself that is good. It's not as if there aren't any bad books or books that are yeah. are deformative rather than formative, but it's just the sense that like finding things to read is good. I wrote down as, yeah. um, you know, as you were describing some of um, some of your experience of th- those quotes about what reading does, it's that mm-hmm. it's not escapism. It's actually an invitation into reality. It's actually yeah. allowing you to more fully appreciate reality not escaping from reality to some other world. Um, And of course that's like, you know, the biggest critique of like fantasy or science fiction is always that it's escapism. And yet yet they're, they are often (laughs) some of the best works to really invite us into a fuller appreciation of reality. Absolutely. Um, Because it's not, you can't, if it's a book about everyday life or contemporary life in America, you might miss, mm -hmm. um, you might miss something. Um, so I, I love what C.S. Lewis says about fairy tales is that, you know, like um, this idea that, well, it's not reality. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, books about heroes and, uh, you know, these some of these fantastic stories, those aren't reality either, because how many children are going to go save, you know, a, you know, save the world or whatever yeah. he's trying to yeah. say, whereas um, sometimes... Uh, fairy tales do a better job. I will say this, that when I'm choosing books, I, I do not like to read books where the author is clearly a nihilist. Hmm. Um, and there are a lot of books like that. I mean, yeah. that um, that's hard for me. 
um, there's this author, John Banville, who I, you know, he won the Booker Prize a couple of times. So I thought, okay, I'm going to read something by him. And um, I tried his, a novel and it was, it was just awful. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was basically about a man that was on the verge of suicide and he had no hope. And it, it's not like it has to be a religious book, but right. I enjoy books that place a value on life and make you want to notice life, you know, and notice yeah. that give you a sense of reverence and wonder. And it doesn't mean it has to have a happy ending because you can have a sense of reverence and wonder for someone who has endured great suffering, but has come out at the other end. Um, so I think that's, I, I, I have favorite authors now that I'm really um, kind of reading their backlist a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, but, uh, I think that's, I remember there was, and I, I don't know enough about film to know if this was true, but I remember right after I got out of college, I felt like all the movies that people really appreciated that were like the artsy movies that everyone said, you got to see this yeah. basically had a degree of like futility involved in it. Like there was just this sense that like, it just like life is futile and like a sort of either nihilism or nihilism adjacent kind of story. And I remember ah. feeling like, I don't know, it, it wasn't that, a, eventually that well dries up. I think there's probably some truth to the observation of that feeling right. of futility that, that I don't know, I, right. I can see someone appreciating and seeing that. And, but that well, yeah, I, I think you run out of, uh, you run out of runway on those stories pretty quickly. Cause at some yeah. point, at some point, that doesn't ring as true. It, that's actually well, not reality that life is, it is totally and, futile. And actually I've come to a point where I don't have time for this. <laughs> you know, I, there's so much I want to read. That's good. I mean, I want to go back and reread all of Jane Austen. Why am I reading this book? Right. You know? <laughs> um, so I just don't have time for it. I, yeah. I think there is wisdom in Philippians when it says, think about what is true mm -hmm. and beautiful. Um, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And certainly being careful in what I chose this last year. Um, I mean, I was intentionally choosing books that would bring me hope, mm -hmm. but I found that I found hope in unusual places yeah. also. Um, and uh, yeah, so, yep. <laughs> Great. So any other, uh, oh, we've gone through lots of good books. Any recommendations, any closing thoughts, any other things you want to share about how, um, how these stories have brought you hope this last year? Well, I, I think I've pretty much in some ways, um, I, I'm looking at my little point sheet here about how the <laughs> stories brought me hope. And, um, you know, I, I think you shouldn't back away from books that are about suffering because I think you can find hope in suffering and how people have, I mean, that's the suffering of Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, we find meaning in suffering. And I think a really, a good book, a good story will help you find meaning hmm. in life. Um, and I think that's what a lot of these books have done. Um, a lot of the books have helped me try to really see um, how friendship and love um, maybe this, I think I'll end with this one. Um, this is a book that just came out, Dear Edward. Okay. And it is, um, it just, the story kind of intrigued me. It's based on something that really happened. Um, there was a plane crash, um, 
like 10 or 15 years ago mm-hmm. where there was only one survivor and mm. it was this small eight-year-old boy and his whole family had died in the crash. So mm. the author was really concerned, well, how would a child endure something like that? Yeah. And, and of course, in the process of the book, she talks about the plane ride and she actually takes a real uh, black box. She takes another plane crash and mm-hmm. has all the black box recording of what the pilots were saying to each other. And of course there's yeah. a backstory for each of the characters on the plane. And what happens to him is he goes to live with his aunt and uncle. And of course he's, you know, he's devastated how this will always be with him. And, yeah. um, you know, and it starts out, he, he can't find, he's afraid of finding connection with people. Hmm. and he's afraid of loving anyone and then basically what how the book progresses is that he has he there's this little girl that lives next door very different from him and they become best friends and she just lets him be himself she doesn't Hmm. want like he has a psych i mean a therapist that's helping him and a doctor that's helping him but he can just say crazy things to this (laughs) this um this girl yeah and their friendship develops over the years but um when it i I love this one quote which i've thought about a lot uh from this book um so uh he's talking about his friend this is when they're now uh teenagers young adults shay is this shay because of him and he is alive not just surviving but alive because of her He wonders if the scientists who tend to the Large Hadron Collider are hoping to discover not only what happens in the air between two people, but how that pressurized air changes those people inside their skin. He hears the science teacher say, the air between us is not empty. Hmm. And that's, I think, well, I'm just going to end there because that's what reading has given me is that sense mm-hmm. of how we are so connected to each other and we are who we are. I am who I am because I know you, Andrew. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are who we are because of all the people in our lives and stories can help us see that of ourselves and they can show us that. Um, so that's just love and connection. This little boy is healed because people just love him. Hmm. And um, that's just, that's, you know, that's, that's our message, right? To yeah. The world. What a place to end it. Well, the love of Christ. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody go, go to your library, go get a book, stop listening to podcasts. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, Mary. You're welcome. Thank you, Andrew.